I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome to Rule the Roost podcast. I'm your host, Tatrunk, back from my Roman exploits and I am joined, as ever, by my faithful compatriots, Mr. Raj Baines and Mr. Sebastian stafford How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing good, mate. Doing very good. We want to hear a little bit more about Rome. I spoke to you earlier this morning and it sounded like a kind of um, a pivotal life moment for you. It was, in, it was in, in several respects, turned 30, you know, the big 3-0, um, which I was dreading for quite a while as... Raj liked to uh, rub in in my absence. Um, but it was like, I think you hit the nail on the head, Seb, when you were saying that it's uh, it, it shouldn't feel like a big deal, but it only does because it's not only you questioning, should I be doing this now I'm 30? Everyone else is looking at you as well saying, <laughs> he probably shouldn't be doing that now he's 30. So you do have that weight of expectation. Uh, I'm sure if you've, uh, if you've spent much time in my company, you know I'm not really easily swayed by that kind of thing. Rebel you, and everything. Have you had any kind of specific, what am I doing moments in the last week? Are you... uh, yeah, I have. Probably some I'm not comfortable talking about on air, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, the, there's, there's, there's been a few of those. There's been a, a bit of a uh, you know shift of the goalposts, shall we say, with with regard to certain uh, aspects of my life. So we'll see. You know, perhaps perhaps things will be changed. But it was more so, you know, just as you you're wandering around this beautiful ancient city um, and you see all these kind of ruins and so on and so forth about you, just kind of think that building's like you know three thousand years old and. Loads of people have died in that time, and I'm I'm going to die one day as well. So, you know, I mean, like it, it, when when you kind of look at you know signs are put up on the Colosseum, please don't scratch your initials into this. There's no more I don't know perfect way to spell out people's impending kind of doom, their existential woe that they would want to scratch their initials into something like the Colosseum. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm making some sort of a point there, hidden in my weird mire of poor vocabulary and shit ways of explaining things. But whatever, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, we lost the cup final. Uh, I, I had to mention that, but I was very, very proud of the lads. I know I didn't get to talk about it last week. And I'm very proud of the way in which we have, to coin a Michael Dawson phrase, bounced back two wins in a week against two... Fairly tricky opponents. Um, first of which was Swansea at White Hart Lane. Um, first goal from, as you like to call him, I like it when you say this, Raj, we call him Big Bad Nace Chadley on uh, on the Rule the Roost Twitter account. But were you both both happy with the both happy with the result? It was absolutely a fantastic goal from Chadley, wasn't it? 
Oh, I was lovely that cushion volley. It was uh, he knew exactly what he was doing with it, putting it away. Um, big bad NASA, and um, it was a uh, it was quite a comfortable performance for the large point until the end of it when you know Larice kind of had to save us in the last minute with pretty much the last action of the game, saving us with a fantastic you know, fingertip push out from the corner. Um, we, we sort of made it harder for ourselves than we should have done, and we did the same against QPR, really. It was pretty comfortable until we conceded. So it was, um, there were two very sort of similar games, but we did did really well. Um, you know, the performances from certain players were consistent throughout both. Ben Aleb again has probably been the best player over the past few weeks. Dyer and Vertonghen seem to be making a, a really good partnership. Um, Rose and Davies are having a... Ryan Mason. Yeah, Ryan Mason was really good, yeah, in both games. Um, Rose and Davies are having a really interesting battle for left-back because uh, Davies was really good against QPR and uh, Rose was really good against Swansea. So they're going to be, you know, that's going to be one to, to watch going forward. It's quite strange to have two players actually playing very well in the same position and that sort of selection headache. So it's um, it's it's good to see. I mean, it was good that um, Kyle Walker wasn't too badly affected from that injury he seemed to pick up in the final and he's been able to, to play both games uh, relatively well. And um, it, we, we sort of, we pondered what the rest of the season would mean for us after losing the final in that we didn't really have very much to play for, if we're being completely honest, other than really pride and, and positioning. And um, I think that statistic came out that we've got the, the second easiest running if you were to look at average position players of who we're, we're playing against. And that seems to have sparked a few people into the old you know, trap of thinking about top four again, which seems to be the, <laughs> the yearly mistake yeah. that fans fall into. Yeah, let's just, let's just not even go yeah. there, though. We've seemed to have settled on a side and a core of players, and we seem to have settled on who is just not part of the, the plans going forward anymore, and it just seems to be a consolidation of, of what we already had and a, a continuation of that. And that sort of having that consistency now is is probably going to stand as well going into next season because if we if we do minimal business and we just sort of build up the squad rather than affecting the the first team too much then we'll be um we'll be well set for next season <laughs> and although that's what Tottenham say every season it's it, it might actually be true next year well yeah we, it would be certainly nice to see now we were actually going into the season with a relatively well gelled team and one that seems to operate really cohesively um, I think one of the main talking points about the Swansea game has to be the the collapse of Bafatimbi Gomez as well because um, I think you can speak for a lot of Spurs fans when the immediate reaction is oh god you know, it's, it's, it's happening again there was that kind of ghoulish calm amongst the crowd and I don't know that I don't know that that knowing sense of this isn't this isn't right I mean it, luckily enough it turns out to be that it's something that you know Gomez has suffered from previously and it seems to be more of a, a some kind of like anxious disorder as opposed to um an actual kind of like heart condition um but it it, 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 it did have a an a horrible nod to the Muamba incident, didn't it, Seb? You were there as well, weren't you, that night? Um, and it felt that after after that point, the game kind of it, it slowed down quite a lot, didn't it? And it was played at a, a, a kind of odd pace. Yeah, I, I mean, and not surprisingly, because I um, I I wasn't watching at the time when he actually collapsed, but I heard about it, and um, I think probably anyone who was 
in the stadium when Mwamba happened would um, would say the same thing. Your blood just turns cold. It was just uh, that was. Uh, I mean, I, I just oh, it goes without saying. I just you never want to see something like that ever happen again. But just I, I don't know. Just the, the it's interesting what you say about the, the pace of the game because the, the entire. I mean, obviously the game was um, the game was called off against Bolton um, a couple of years ago. But even even sort of as it happened, even before it became obvious what was actually wrong, um, the entire atmosphere just changed in instant inside the stadium. And I think you know, in that situation, given what had happened before. Right. The same thing probably happened against Swansea, and you just, as a professional player, and remember these guys. He was carried off, and, and and he was conscious, and and obviously it wasn't um, there wasn't the sort of the, the lingering severity of Moamba. But how, as a professional player, can you you know return to normal that quickly after something like that happens? Um, and yeah, just 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 really chilling, just absolutely horrible. And and I um I know what they've said about his past, but last week was actually the the twenty five year anniversary of um. If, if people haven't heard of this, maybe give it a Google. Um, there's a, a basketball player in America called Hank Gathers who, um, who collapsed with a heart attack and died in the middle of a game um, on television. Um, and a couple of months before that had happened, he had passed out in similar circumstances. Um, he was taking a free throw at the line and he just collapsed. And everyone said then, you know, oh, the gym is too hot or the, the, the pace of the game is too much of him. And... and they kind of eventually they diagnosed uh, an abnormality in his heart, which he was supposed to be treating, but ultimately didn't. Um, and it's just I don't know. It's just such a horrible, weird area of any. I mean, it, I, I'm sure anxiety plays a role, and I'm sure you know his history makes it slightly easier to manage. But even so, uh, just horrible. There is a, there's a just to give him a quick shout out. There's a there's a decent um, charity called the Heart for More Foundation actually, um, that's set up by a, a young lad, I can't remember his name, um, I'm afraid, but he was a young lad that had to cut short his uh, kind of like uh, fledgling football career um, because he was found out to have an, a previously undiagnosed heart condition. Um, and they're, they're essentially, I think they're trying to travel um, lots of schools and lower league football clubs to give all of the, the players and youngsters that are in, interested in getting involved in any kind of sport um these kind of cardiograms and stuff like that to pick up any things that still don't seem to be routine um i don't know why or not but yeah give, give them a follow on the, the heart for more foundation on twitter um i think their website is heartformore.org.uk um they haven't actually asked me to plug it by the way. I just thought it would be pertinent to uh, good cause. Good cause. Mention. Um, should we? Well, actually, not as well. Um, moving on from that, for Brian Mason, it's nice to see him get his first Premier League goal as well. And the the, the reaction that he gave us uh, was was glorious to see. Um, and I guess we can take that forward into the the QPR match as well. Um, in that he seemed to be, I I felt personally, one of our better players against QPR. It was also brilliant to see him getting stuck in against Carl Henry, who's a man I can remember kicking us off the park um, when he played for Wolves a couple of seasons back at White Hart Lane. Seeing him actually get bullied by Ben Taleban Mason was was glorious. I cannot stand that man. I really it's can't. Fucking horrible player, Carl Henry. Awesome. Yeah, just an abysmal. But... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah, what were you saying? No, it was just going to be more of a Carl Henry. Rant. <laughs> I was just going to—I was going to kind of ask if you remember he—he um, he, a couple of seasons ago, before Wolves got relegated, 
you guys remember a tackle he made at the um, the DW Stadium on I think Jordi Gomez? It was just it was if you if you haven't seen it, YouTube it. But like he goes in so recklessly and so hard that Gomez practically somersaults as a result of the tackle. <laughs> it's a straight red card, but it's just like I, I, I remember it. It looks like when the uh, the FIFA match engine goes wrong and one of the players does something like his body movements like completely unnatural but Gomez yeah, hard, went, hard. went flying into air and went ass over tit because purely Henry had gone so hard into his legs he's not a very talented player he seems to mask his lack of touch and guile with uh, being overly physical which isn't something you like to see but it's uh, it's something a team as bad as QPR have to try and uh, have to try and put up with to try and get some sort of a foothold in the game they were right, a horror show though well, I mean, but just in general, though, they're, they're a horror show, though, don't oh, yeah, you think? Yeah. And from top to bottom, they're a really, really poorly run club. We, we talked about this last week, actually, didn't we? That just sort of the abnormalities in their finances and, and what have you. But I don't know. I, I thought they played well. I mean, I, it's just one of those games where you guys were talking earlier about um, what happens after a cup final. And, and the best thing about the last week has been just that, OK, top four is a, a silly concept, but in the past... Would you ever have imagined that coming off a Wembley, a losing Wembley final, or any kind of Wembley final, a Tottenham squad would have thought anything other than, "Well, that's a, that's good enough for this season. We'll phone in the rest of it." As you say that, I remember when we lost in the semi-final against Portsmouth um, in the season we finished fourth that year. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. beat Chelsea and Arsenal at home inside a week after we lost that match. So it's it's not completely yeah, unprecedented. They have done it previously, but I do understand in what you're saying that they've not allowed the 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 disappointment to set in and use that as an excuse, which perhaps uh, a weaker-minded side may have done. Um, they've, they've reacted as positively as you could have hoped for. So it's um, it's a good, it's, it's a fantastic week for us. I mean, both games we performed fairly consistently, so it's it's just good to see that perhaps that is a level of performance we should be looked to be giving towards the end of the season and and probably towards the uh, the last game because. There's that on the beach syndrome that a side in a position yeah. like Tottenham could could well go into because there's no reason for us to be playing for Europa League football because it's already secure given our uh, cup exploits. So it's um it's one where they're, they're literally now just playing for pride and and playing for the manager. So it's it's really good to see. And there's that there's that really odd. Um, End of season friendly that they're going to have in Australia, similar to that one that they had in, <laughs> similar to that one they had in Jamaica, um, the other year, which that postponed Ledley King's testimonial for a year, didn't it? That, so um, it's yeah. um, it's just an odd money day to try and sell some shirts to the Aussies. I think right. one of the things I, I threatened to do this before we recorded. I think one of the one of the chief proponents of this resurgence in Tottenham that I really want to highlight is is Mr. Mr. Pochettino to be honest with you I just I'm, I'm falling in love with the man more so every week and I think one of the main things it's not just this kind of like this this ethic and this spirit that he seems to have instilled in the team that people noted that he built at Southampton as well it's that there are these players that we're actually seeing a tangible improvement in week in, week out. Players that, you know, we've seen certain players pass through several managers' hands now. Players like Andros Townsend, who had clear and noted faults within his game that no one ever seemed to really work on. They were just like, well, that's Andros Townsend, that's what he does, so we'll stick him in here and there. But like the game, Raj, and, you know, you've been one of his, like, I don't know, chief critics in the past not not unduly so either I'm not calling you out on that um, but you know you were saying the other day in the game that his game is 
quite clearly improving, that his decision-making is improving, that he's seeming to actually develop more of a footballing brain. And we're seeing that with other players. Like I think like, one of my big criticisms of Nabil Bentaleb previously was that he seems to be great going forwards, but sometimes he doesn't play the most adventurous passes and he doesn't provide enough defensive cover. But I think these are two areas of his game which are just like getting so much stronger. And of course, young players that are talented are always going to improve. But I think it's the the space of time in which certain players are just having a marked improvement. I have to attribute that to, to Pochettino. I don't know why I said attribute so weirdly there. <laughs> but I know, I don't know. I I'm probably watching too much American TV or just not learning to talk properly but it's a being uh, in the 30s thing mate <laughs> yeah is it just going a bit slow having a senior yeah. moment fuck about with the language a bit why not <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know i just i love him i think he's uh to pick know, up on the point you made about townsend i think the the thing that yeah. i said specifically was the goal he oh, said yeah. the, the, no the, <laughs> I, not to disagree with you whatsoever i was rightly yeah. um <laughs> critical of his um of his game previously and the way in which he, he failed to progress when he first broke into the side um and the the manner in which he's got better in the Pochettino as you say is much better but the the thing that was evident of that previously was that goal he scored against Swansea where the decision making he had to cut back in on his thing on, on his onto his right foot rather than hit it first time on his left and he managed to sort of draw a man in and and make a proper run and a break is not something he would have done previously. He would have made the the wrong choice or he would have hit it with his left foot yeah. and, and probably missed into the side netting or something. But to have that that confidence, that extra yard of, of, of thinking time before he'd actually done what he'd done because it's clear once he'd, you know, executed the turn inside and the shot that he'd he'd already been thinking about it, it'd already been something that he'd he'd planned to do the way in which he sold it to the defender. Um it's that that extra yard of vision and thinking that perhaps players like Lennon and even Walcott to an extent, um, English wingers on a on a larger scale even, they get bashed largely for their lack of a football brain and their lack of decision-making and, and doing the right thing at the right time. And he's shown several times now that he's able to do that, and that is largely down to the work he will have been doing on the training pitch on his own game. And his, his work ethic's never been a problem. In fact, previously, it was the thing that undid his his um, his good points the most was the fact that whenever he did got the get the ball, he, he perhaps tried too hard to do the things he thought he was good at. But but now he's choosing his time to strike a lot better, and he's um, he's 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 improved as an all round player. He's he's keeping Lamella out of the side at the moment, even though he's probably a, a, a more natural attacking talent and that goes a long way to prove and show just how well he's obviously um, impressing the coach because Pochettino's not a man who's going to be picking favourites and, and playing somebody just because he thinks he's a better fit. He, he's going to be doing it because he, he believes that player deserves to be in that player's on merit. You know, it's an interesting thing about Andros Townsend is because he's been around for so long and because he's been, been aware of him for so long, People, people um, mistakenly believe that he's actually quite an experienced footballer at this level, but he's really not. If you, if you, um, if you have a look at his um, appearance statistics for the Tottenham first team, not you know for his 900 loans in the football league, he's very, very inexperienced. I think I, I wrote an article at the beginning of the season, um, and I, I, I didn't know this before writing it, but it turns out that prior to this year, he'd actually started fewer games for Tottenham than, um, than Bentaleb. 
Really? At the point of writing that article. So maybe it might not have been at the beginning, but maybe by sort of September, October at the time. But it was, um, it's interesting. It just goes to show, and, you know, that wasn't including kind of the sub appearances and the sort of 10 minutes here and the 15 minutes there. It's actual proper starts. And that's what a player needs to develop. And I think now that we're seeing him getting those opportunities, you're seeing an improvement. So it's kind of, it's a validation for, um, for Pochettino, of course, and Townsend. But also the idea that you've got, uh, it's not necessarily how old the player is or how long they've been around but it's just how much literal experience they really have um, and he's kind of he's kind of proving that which is great which is really nice to see him improve I think it's going to be hard to get through uh, this entire podcast at least the opening section without mentioning our man Harry Kane as well um, he's well he's, he's smashed the uh, well not smashed but he's, he's I think he's levelled Mark Falco's record now hasn't he for the amount yep. of goals scored in a season for being a striker from the academy, is it just a striker from the academy, or is it any player from the academy? I'd imagine it's any player. I would have thought. I can't. I yeah, can't true. Very good point. I can't. I, mean, I might be wrong. I just can't think of anyone on top of my off the top of my head who um, who would threaten that. Uh, Dean Marnie. No. <laughs> yeah. Johnny uh, Jackson. I don't. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I, I. I. You know. I'll be still kind of worried about this. Perhaps being a Michu season, or do you think we can say with any more cert- not certainty, perhaps, but confidence that the lad is is actually a, a very talented footballer? Oh. No. Well, I. I, I, I think he, he. He clearly is, and I, I don't. I don't see him as a Michu. I. I just, but also. I think he's perfect for the Premier League. Actually, I mean, I, I never used to believe that. I'm not going to pretend that I did, but he, um, he he's proved that. Um, the one thing I say is, I, I absolutely don't want him playing for England this season. Just, no, 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 God, no. I, not even because of any real reason. Just because it's just so unnecessary. England. I mean, I, I don't really see the harm in leaving that until September. I don't. I don't need. You know, he's going to the under twenty one Euros in the summer. You know, he's got a, a couple of preparation friendlies lined up with Southgate's side. There's just, there's no, beyond like the satisfaction, the satisfying of some kind of curiosity, there's no real world reason why that has to happen beyond just the media saying it does. I mean, I, I don't, I don't like that really. I'm raging against it at the moment. How, how are you finding him so far, Raj? Are you, you impressed? Who are we on about, sorry? Harry, Harry Kane. Yeah, he's really good. I mean, there's, there's not <laughs> many more superlatives you can say about him. We've spoken about him. We speak about him all the time. He's he's absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, uh, the goals he's scoring, the confidence he has at the moment is is very impressive. That second goal against QPR, going around the keeper, again was was really good. So it's you know, there's as long as he he builds on this and he carries it on into the next season, and he he doesn't give anyone an excuse to to call him a one season wonder or what have you. He's he's going to be fantastic. So he's as I, as I've said previously, it's now he's reached this level. The, the next step for him is now that people are going to be aware of him and they're going to be preparing to defend against him. His real challenge is similar to what Bale had to do when they realised that he was a really good left winger and people are realising that he picks up space in pockets. is going to be adding another dimension to his game that's going to kick him on another level, mm-hmm. um, which isn't the easiest thing in the world to do. So it's that's that's his real, real next challenge. His next season might not be... Um, might not be as prolific as this one, but as long as he's working on his right areas and he's looking to be better, then um, in the long run he, he should should work out to be a fantastic option for us. So it's not it's it's not a, a, a you know negative by any means, but it's just a you know kind of future proofing his um, 
his his success is is the most important thing to the club at the moment because as I've said previously about how the media works in this country, specifically around the players' confidence, they they look to build them up and get them into the England squad because that gives them a fantastic narrative. And then the only thing that they can do to counteract that pre, after they've completed that cycle is to knock them back down again once yeah. they've um, fallen out of favour and, and aren't in the best of form. So he's just going to have to do his best to avoid that as as, as best he can, really. I mean, think about the distance he's covered in that time. Like, in the space of 18 months, he's become... All right, uh, loaned out irrelevance. Um, Europa League player, first team player, goal scorer, and then all of a sudden talisman. Like you, you can do without adding another level on top of that. Surely, I mean, just letting him go. And, you know, go to Europe, but then go and sit on the beach and, and take stock of how far you've come in that time. That'd be the best thing for him. I just, I can't understand any argument against that. Well, uh, I, yeah, I can't say fairer than any of that. Um, but yeah, what can we say about Tottenham Hotspur? A, a young side. Spilling with young talent, um, young English talent as well. Not that I'm beating the, the UKIP flag or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but we have a very big test ahead of us. Um, say what you want about their stuttering form. But Manchester United at Old Trafford is never easy. And uh, What are you on about? We call it three-point Trafford now, don't we? <laughs> is, that what, is that what we're going to go with? Well, anyway... Uh, we have Baines and Seb now speaking to Musa. Right, welcome. I, I've been afforded new responsibilities this week uh, and I'm allowed to introduce a guest, which is, uh, I don't know, I'm flattered. So uh, this week, head of, um, head of the United game on Sunday, we have Musa Okonga, who Musa is a writer, poet, musician. In fact, why don't you do that bit, Musa? <laughs> I've got. I've actually got your business card in front of me, and it doesn't. Oh, no. it's, it doesn't fit in my wallet. It's, <laughs> it, it's genuinely that large. It's like that. Um, it's got it's the like, ego that comes attached. Yeah, it's the ego that comes attached. Oh, it's, it's like that scene in, in in Rocky IV where Apollo Creed's about to get killed by Drago, and <laughs> Apollo's come in to James Brown, and, and he, he's been introduced by the ring announcer, and 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 Rocky just goes, "Do you do you have enough names?" That's like you and professions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think I think that's mainly because I've, I've tried a lot of stuff, and uh, hopefully, eventually, something will, will really fit. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, I, I write. Yeah, so obviously, I'm a journalist, uh, so I write about football, but also current affairs. Um, I perform poetry with and without music, so like spoken word, like streets type stuff. Um, I do a bit of PR consulting, and in between that, I just um, yeah, I try to enjoy life as much as possible. So yeah, that's it. And thanks for having me on the. Uh, on the podcast, much appreciated. Can we? Um, I'm going to give you a plug on your behalf, actually. Mesa, um, a long, I've known Mesa for a very long time now, and um, he, about maybe 10 years ago, uh, wrote a book called A Cultured Left Foot, um, which uh, this is over Skype, so I won't be able to see him blushing. Um, oh, but uh, it's one of the best football books out there, and it's criminally underread. So if you're in a Waterstones or a W. Smith or an Amazon, even, um, give that a look. What's it about? You well, it's have... about it's about um, uh, the eleven things that make a great footballer. So it's a different chapter on each quality. Because I thought, you know, everyone always talks about what makes a great player, but often people don't have criteria. You know, so you know, guts under pressure, um, the work ethic, uh, the vision. Because you know, people now are saying that Messi is such a great player because of his vision, his playmaking ability. So as uh, I went through each of those different chapters and. I sent out a questionnaire to the general public. So I sent out an email, forwarded it to everyone I possibly could read it, sending back their comments on it. Um, and I also interviewed a bunch of random people. So not just not just footballers, but also physiotherapists, 
IT consultants, just the most random people, uh, poets, novelists, you know, anyone you name it who had a kind of thought or passion about football. Um, and it was a kind of a, not so much a, a book as an exploration of, of greatness. Um, yeah, and that was 2007, and it was great fun to write. Excellent. That's in my uh, that's in my Amazon basket. As oh, well, thanks. Speak. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy that's it. a really northern pronunciation of Amazon there. Amazon. 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 That's what? Well, how else am I supposed to say it? Am I supposed to stick my pinky? Yeah, it's flatter. It's <laughs> Amazon, isn't it? Right. Okay. Anyway, let's let's move on from that from our on a kind of um, north south divide thing. Um, Miss uh, <laughs> Louis Van Hal. Uh, I can't open a newspaper anymore without some columnist giving an opinion on what this first season has been, where it's headed, and whether or not we are going to assess him as being a, a success at the end of it. What do you reckon? Okay, well, this is the funny thing. So I spoke to um, a guy the other day, a friend the other day, who played, he actually played third division football in Germany. And he's a huge Bayern Munich fan. And he was talking about Van Hal. We brought him up and he said, you know what, give that guy time because you have to remember that Van Hal. Exactly the same pattern happened in Germany, where Luca Toni was the top scorer, okay, and Luca Toni gets dropped, and there was a big scandal because Luca Toni had scored, I think, like you know, a ton of goals in the previous season in Serie A. So everyone's like, Luca Toni's been dropped. This is outrageous, and he brings in some skinny twenty-year-old called Thomas Müller, and everyone's like, who the hell is this kid? And like at the end of that season, Thomas Müller's got five goals in the World Cup. Four years later, Müller has five goals at the World Cup. And everyone's like, oh, wow, Thomas Muller. And he's only Van Gaal could have done that. And that's his attitude. He's like, you just have to stick it out with this guy, um, even if the pace of it is a bit slow and it's not what you expect, but the guy knows what he's doing. And it's funny because that gave me a tremendous sense of calm because actually I stepped back and I think to myself, yes, Van Gaal's made some obvious mistakes, well, obvious in my mind, but the track record is astonishing. And in fact, the track record is so good, there'll be plenty of times in this season, next season, where we'll look at this guy and be like, he doesn't have a clue. But I really do think he does. Um, talking of how he uses players, something you and I have spoken quite a lot about um, right. is the use of Ander Herrera. Because I, I when when um, I mean I I seen a little bit of Herrera when he was at Bilbao, and um, he looked absolutely like the kind of sort of intermediate midfield player, the sort of the, the connecting point of those, that the, the two halves of, of that midfield. Right. Um, and every time you know, and since he's come to England, every time he's been on a pitch. You know, with a couple of exceptions, United have looked better for it. Yet, up until really recently, he's just languished on the bench. And I, I, no one seems to be able to explain this to me. OK, well, the connecting point, I think, is vital. If you look at the, um, the game against Preston, for example, I think where he scored, uh, I think he scored and came back and won 3-1. Yeah. What's interesting about the game is Herrera was actually responsible positionally, largely for the first goal. He pushed up really, really high. You see, if you look at that goal again, you see Valencia running back. But there's a 20-yard gap in behind Ander Herrera. The guy wasn't screening. And this is the point about connecting. I think the fear with Herrera is that Blind is not the ideal defensive midfield partner. Blind is good. He is very good. But he is not the elite defensive midfielder, I think, that he wanted for Herrera. And when Van Gaal looks at midfield, he sees, a, he sees a blend of players, and he'd rather go with a conservative midfield option than Herrera, who I think he thinks is positionally not quite right in a deep-lying uh, midfield too. So you haven't got someone like Matic. For example, you've got Fabregas, who's very free, right? Yeah. Herrera defends more than Fabregas does, but the problem is that Matic is far better, really, than Blint. Blint's a good player, but Matic is elite, you know? Yeah. So I think the reason that Herrera is, uh, has been on the bench so often is not because he's not a fantastic player. It's because Van Hal didn't quite trust him in that tactical system. OK, OK. I, I mean, going back to the, the Blint thing, I, um, I remember 
speaking to you just after deadline day, maybe mm. a couple of weeks afterwards, and the outside impression of that was because that deal was completed so late. Right. It looked like one of those where the club had had a shop around. They needed that kind of player. Right. And they ultimately settled on what the da- on what Daily Blint was, rather than yeah. actually picked him off the peg as someone who really suited what they were trying to do. What do you reckon about? I I I, mean, I, I see a lot of I see a lot of articles written by Man United fans who who, who love Blint and, and and see him as um the very much someone who's going to stay in that team in that position for ten years. But it just seems I don't know. It just seems a little bit unrealistic. I've never. I mean, he, he does a lot of things quite well. Yeah, I, I agree with but, that. That's all. Look, Blint is Blint is. How do I put this? Blint is good. Blint is very good. You don't win, you know. Blint is a very, very good player. I don't want to denigrate the guy. He's excellent. He's a very good player. But, 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 if we're being brutally frank, there's a level, there's an elite level of defence midfielders, and Blint is not in that category. And to be a, a defensive midfielder for Manchester United for the next 10 years, you have to be in the elite category. You have to have the qualities of a Mascherano or a Busquets. It's just what you have to do. And Blint doesn't have that. Yeah, and you know, and the thing with Blint is the reason I say he doesn't have that is there are very, very, very few defence midfielders who have the ability to play through the lines. Very few. Okay, now Blint gets it and gives it the, the elite defence midfielders that could do that were people like Fernando Redondo. And I know that sounds like a harsh comparison, but Redondo had the ability <laughs> to play. <laughs> no, no, no. But here's the thing. Harsh. Here's the thing. But you have to. You have to look. There are only five elite defence midfielders in the world at any one time, and Manchester United have to find themselves one of them. Okay, that's what it is. That's just that's just that's the bottom line. It's just look, if you're the world's richest club in revenues, you should be buying one of the best five defence midfielders in the world. You just should, right? What Blint is is a very, very capable deputy. He's an he's an excellent deputy who will be very good against ninety percent of the teams in the league and good against the others. But the problem is that against the very, very best teams a guy like that gets destroyed because he can't take the pressure off his defence because he can't ease transition well enough. And in the really tight games, and you have to get that really good pass, when you've got to smuggle the ball out of defence, Blind won't be doing it. Okay. That's, and that's, that's the reality. And I think to compete at the elite European level for years to come, they've got to get someone slightly better in there. Is there an element of him being a, a jack-of-all-trades and master of none as well? Because he does play these several positions, and if you look at the players that we know well enough to, to do a similar sort of thing, the, the James Milners of the mm. world, they never really seem to be able to nail down a specific position either because they've got that ability and managers see them as that utility sort of player. They're never given the opportunity to specialise anywhere um, because they're... They're, they've got the opportunity to play as well when needs be. Do you think that's that's hindered him as well in his progression of, of becoming a better defensive midfielder? Do you know what? I'm not sure. sure. I, I would have thought that, but actually, I don't think it does. I think he's just a very, very good footballer. I think he's just a very good footballer who doesn't... You know, because there, there is a final level of being a great player, I think, where you have the vision, right? And Blint is a very good passer. Um, it, you know, we've seen that in the World Cup. We've seen that in the Premier League too. He's a very good passer. Like I say, he's... He's good enough to start. He's basically like an Alex Song with better positional discipline and better temperament. You know, like he's, you know, he's slightly less quick, but well, he's much less quick. But I, do, I, I just don't think that Blind, even if he was played as a defensive midfielder for the next five years, would become a Busquets because he doesn't have that elusive element of vision, which, to be honest, very few players have. Um, okay, talking of like you, you mentioned that the Blind's kind of the, the kind of player that um would be excellent against ninety percent of the sides um in the league. Uh, this weekend, you're up against one of the elite 10%. Um, Indeed we are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you make a Tottenham this year? I think they are 
So that's I'm what really, we want to hear more than anything else. So I'm, I'm not really interested I, in your genuine opinion. Okay, okay, <laughs> genuine opinion. <laughs> they're going to the Champions League this year, no. Um, oh, no, no, no. They, they're, they're really exciting. I know, look, the biggest compliment Mourinho paid to Spurs was the tactics that he played against um, them in the, in the Carling Cup, in the Capital One Cup final. Sorry, I keep changing these sponsors. The, the, final, the, the final tactics that he used are really terrific. You know, two men in front of the back four. And that was really a tribute to Harry Kane, who finds space so well um, in front of that back, in front of the uh, the back four, which is a terrific player. Um, and what I love about what Pochettino is doing is he's got a real intensity, a real drive. There's a tactical smartness to Spurs now, and there's a belief, the fitness. You know, the late goals aren't only coming from the fitness; they aren't only coming from the, the fantastic deep lying playmaking of Mason and Ben Talab, who's been terrific, and who I really enjoyed at the Cup of Nations. Actually, they've also they've got this. Um, this design, they actually genuinely believe, I think, Spurs, and they go on that pitch, we, we, we can beat anyone in our day. They weren't scared of um, Chelsea in that final. There was a different... They, did, they didn't execute so well. Um, they didn't move the ball across the six-yard box as well as they could. They didn't have people maybe on the end of things so well. But they were a little bit unlucky, I have to say. Um, and that's been the exciting thing about Spurs. You know, I've always, I've always liked Spurs and respected them, even though they weren't doing so well in the league, because they've always tried to play football. And I always have a soft spot for a team that tries to play football. The um, actually, I'm going to drop a little bit of an anecdote now. With the um, two years ago, when um, when that Villa Spurs team um, beat United at Old Trafford, we watched that game together. If you remember, and um, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. When uh, when when Bale went roaring through the middle of the pitch and ended Rio Ferdinand's career, I jumped <laughs> up and I, I accidentally stamped on a dog's tail. We were in a, if you remember, we were in a pub and there was this white dog, which was exactly the, the, the same color as the carpet. And I just, I didn't see it in my periphery. So I jumped <laughs> up, I childishly did that little bale heart thing and then stamped on the dog. <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, but, it, is, uh, it is. It is. It's painful. Well, look, you were very good natured that day, though. You, uh, you, 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 I mean, I, I, I embarrassed myself gloriously, but you... Um, Losing at home to Tottenham, um, given your history, is uh, that must have been difficult. But you, you were very good natured. I remember that. Well, it's because we played. It's because we played very well in the second half, and that was yeah. really encouraging. No, and it's, Beach in the second and half. it's also it's also because um, I really liked the Spurs, and I thought, well, if there's anything positive from this, it might buy him a bit more time in the media. Because I think he was a manager at a very difficult position. I spoke to somebody the other day who writes for Chelsea. He does some work for their website and for their program. And he said the thing with V.S. Boas was, you know, um, it was difficult for him because he came from within the club. Yeah. So he didn't come. He didn't. He didn't have the kind of aura that you get as a newcomer to Chelsea. So he had to, you know, he had to go from being, I suppose, a student to a master. And that was an easy transition. And I felt like he got the tough, tough gig at Chelsea. And then obviously, when he went to Spurs, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of our media does have it in for the foreign manager in the first couple of seasons. Yeah, definitely. And. Uh, I just wanted to see him do well. And I'm, it's a shame it didn't quite work out for him because I think that he was he was a very good coach and still is. It's it's interesting because I there was um, an interview he did in Spanish over the weekend, which was translated on, on Twitter yesterday. And he was talking again about working at Tottenham, and, and he he said, you know, he admitted to making mistakes, especially with how aggressive he was at the me- with the media at times. Mm. But also, um, and this is a common theme between his time at Chelsea and, and Spurs. That he, he said, I, I was never given the players I wanted. Um, and that seems quite reasonable, given that at Chelsea he came in and he was clearly given the brief to to, to essentially do what um, what has been done over the last two years is to reduce the general age of the side and to, to build a new generation. And you know, as, as Rog and Jack um, and I frequently talk about, when he came to Spurs, it was like 
you know, I, I want Yao Martino. And, and then they were like, well, you can't have him, but, you know, you, for 10 million less, you can have Gilfie Sigurdsson. It, it's that kind of thing. And it's, and it's a terror, because Martino, Martino is still doing a pretty, I mean, look, the guy, Martino is still bossing Monaco. Like, well, he was great at the Emirates last week. I mean, well, this, 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 and that, that guy has been one of the elite, I mean, that's, that's a typical side of the myopic nature of, 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 of the Premier League, because that is the kind of player that would have shone in the Premier League for several years. And what he, you know, and they've got they've got Condogbia at Monaco. I mean, that's another story. I mean, how the hell these players are slipping through the net when the Premier League has its resources? I do not know. It's that, the Condogbia is a really interesting one because he's he's sort of um, I hate to say it and I hate to give anyone at the Emirates any ideas, but you put him into the Arsenal side, you start and not he's just because of what he was against player. them, but you just think that is exactly the kind of guy that um that guy has been the Condogbia has been at that level for the last two years yeah yeah. he's been doing it for two this is the myopic nature of the league but like people oh oh and all you know there's nothing going on in the French league and then all of a sudden you get done by them and you're worried about well guys it's, it's staring at you in the face yeah, anyway anyway it's um was actually they, that um that Sigerson reference was wrong that we were promised Matinho and we got Clint Dempsey uh, which is actually, oh, good actually, Lord. actually worse in a way, isn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> Clint Dempsey scored the winner at Old Trafford. He did. He did. I, didn't, I, I didn't actually step on a dog when he scored that one, but he um, he definitely did score. Um, that, was, that, was, that was lovely. I actually remember where I was when I watched that game as well. I'd, I was working weekends at that point, and I'd just finished uh, just before the game had kicked off. And um, I went and watched it by myself in a golf bar in Leeds because it was the closest place to work. It wasn't my, obviously my first choice <laughs> venue. Uh, and I watched it alone. And uh, it, was, it was, I was actually really quite sad when the 90th minute came around because it was the first time, it gives away my age again, it was the first time in my lifetime I'd ever seen Tottenham beat Manchester United in any capacity. Really? Oh, wow. Whether it be home, away, cup, anything. <sighs> And um, I was actually quite sad that I wasn't watching it with my old man because um, he was at home and I would obviously just finish work. So I'd, I called him at full time and I was like, oh, I'm really glad we've won, but I wish I'd been watching that one with you because I imagine it would have been one of them games where we'd have jumped up from the sofa and given each other a massive hug. <laughs> um, so it's a bit bittersweet for me, but I, I very much enjoyed watching us beat Manchester United. And it was, again, the next season. It's the famous, that's the famous Spurs famous story that um, you've probably heard this one anyway, everyone, but... You know the the five three at um, White Hart Lane. Yeah, yeah you've, 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 heard, you've heard this story. So when when Fer, when um, when uh, Ferguson went in the dressing room at half time, yeah, uh, apparently everyone was cacking themselves. You know, what's he going to do? He's going to slaughter us. The hairdryer is coming out, and he walked in and he smiled and he's like, guys, like, this is Spurs. They're probably already celebrating. Like, like they're probably already planning their celebration after the game. They probably were going to go out tonight, like have a big drink, like get an early goal back in the second half, and they'll crumble. And that's all he said. Like he literally barely, he barely spoke for like fifteen minutes. That was the halftime team talk. And it's funny because if you look at the second half performance, right, the intensity which United had in that second half, it's really quite a raw intensity. Whereas the Spurs team now, what I loved about the Spurs performance against Arsenal was the sustained hostility of it. Yeah. But the intensity of it, I was like, this is a new Spurs team. This is a muscular Spurs team. This is Pochettino's Southampton philosophy coming through in Spurs now. And that's really exciting because I was talking about the other day, I was saying, look, the Premier League now, including Pochettino, who I, you know, I think is obviously an elite coach, it has never had a better um, group of managers in its top sort of seven teams. We are really in a kind of golden age of coaching. And Pochettino is really someone I think that Mourinho sees as, as a real rival. 
more so than Van Gaal at the moment. I think that Mourinho is far more intimidated by, well, not intimidated, but he's far more concerned by the advance of Pochettino than he would probably admit publicly. You know what's really interesting about Pochettino? And, and again, this is something we've spoken about. It's not necessarily... The coaching is hugely relevant, of course it is, and also the physical preparation. But he has um, developed like a, a series of intangibles throughout yes. the group play. And that, that 5-3 yes. is really relevant because, you know, in that situation, Tottenham would never lose that game now. Because it, it's a sort of... Tottenham before, you, you knew all that had to happen was one thing had to go against us in some way or another. And that's yes. it. Everyone was fucked mentally. Now, this team, I mean, it's as a, as a sort of, um, as a, a set of technical attributes, it is obviously still quite flawed, but there's a, I, I don't want to be hackney and start talking about belief and, you know, spirit. But it's, but it's, but it's true. true. That's it true. true. That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But belief, belief won United two titles yeah. uh, in recent years. In 2010-2011 season, um, how the hell was it? I don't know. So, no, not 2011. 20, 2009, 2010, the, the United won. How the hell they won that team, I, that, 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 uh, that title, I do not know with that squad. Uh, then the, the most recent um, league title, if you look at the midfield of Carrick and Cleverly, I mean, my goodness. You know, that, Cleverly was also in, in decent form that year, but that was a team, a title propelled by belief. Yeah. You yes. know, so, so what Pochino is doing is, is really exciting because. He's got this team driving on and believing something big. And the great thing about Pochettino too, the turnaround, you guys lost 3-0 at Stamford Bridge and you were afraid of the, uh, the next game. I think you're actually afraid of it. Yeah. Look, look how fast Pochettino learned. Well, I, I mean, I, it's, we, th- that's still true. I, I would go a little bit further back and, and talk about the Newcastle game and the Stoke game where you just thought, oh, this is shit. Um, right. And I think, you know, I, there are certain managers in that situation who never quite recover from, who never, who go into a club, they have a set of philosophies that they, they want to install, and, um, and they have a setback like that, and they never quite recover from it. But I, I think it's quite a strong statement about Pochettino that he's kind of, um, it helps that in this, in this instance, Daniel Levy didn't, didn't just go, didn't panic and react to the, the, the cabal of idiots amongst our, um, amongst our fan base who wanted Tony Pulisic immediately. <laughs> Um, well, you're, well. Also, look, <laughs> look, also, look. Actually, Pochino is lucky because the cabal of people who are troublesome, a lot of them have moved on. A lot of them weren't just the fans; they're part of the administration. Because I don't think Levy's ever cared too much about the fans. That's one of the good things about him. But one thing I think he has had, he's had a very sort of ruinous influence in the actual infrastructure of the team. The leaks coming out, people like Sherwood wanting a job. They've all gone now. They've all moved on. Yeah, well, it's not a coincidence that, that Tim Sherwood and Les Ferdinand are no longer at the club, and and all of a sudden out of the blue, the, the flow of information has evaporated. Yes, that's funny, isn't it? Yeah. The same with United. No, no, we're saying funny. anything libelous there, but it's just, it's just a well, massive, no, no, massive well, coincidence. Well, it's a coincidence. <laughs> the same coincidence, the way that so much came out um, when Moyes was there yeah. um, and certain players, we won't mean, you know, certain players have left the club now and things were a lot quieter. I mean, the players seem happier, but even if they're not that, I mean, I can't imagine, I'm not going to name them, I can't imagine certain players are too happy with the way they're playing at the moment. But... There's definitely more of a togetherness, and that's because certain dressing elements have been removed. What? Um, big... oh, sorry, Roger, go ahead. Sorry, I, I was going to say I think with with Pochettino, it, the the things that I always took heart in when you referenced the games that were poor towards the start of the season was uh, Brendan Rodgers' first season at Liverpool, and while he is a thoroughly detestable character in his own manner as a manager, he's um, he's actually quite impressive on occasion, and given their patience with him after their first season where they were fairly mediocre mm. and it never looked like his ideas were, were fully going to translate and they weren't 
particularly kicking on in the manner that they'd really imagined and they didn't seem to be that bedding in period of any sort of ideology or, or tactical understanding. However, what they achieved the next season really showed you what consistency can do and what be allowing a manager that, that transitional period can actually afford them. And uh, Seb's completely right in saying that Levy did well not to you know, panic and, and get rid of him at any point because that's, that's one of the the strengths of our season is that he's had that consistency to be able to to make that transition and it's happened in half the time I think any of us really ex- expected it to happen that's why there was no real um, disappointment when we lost the League Cup final because I don't think anybody has expected us to be contesting that game uh, never mind expecting us to win it against Chelsea mm. um, and the other thing that I think he does fantastically well which isn't often spoken about with managers because we're we've become a little more savvy tactically is how well he not man manages but his judge of character because there is not one player in that Tottenham side who he's either promoted from the youth team or he's brought in from the old um, the old squad of, of press managers who doesn't believe in his vision and he is he's quite clearly put to one side the players who are going to be sold in the summer or we're going to attempt to sell and who are who are the more troublesome characters in that they're slightly more egotistical or they're not willing to 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 try as hard or are willing to succumb to the fact that it's the manager and then the players in a sort of hierarchical sense and they're the likes of Kabul and Kapu and Adibayor and right. even Aaron Lennon to an extent they're, they're no longer part of the squad even to the sense where he'll leave himself short on the bench in any one position rather than have any of those in contention. Mm. So it's it's quite clear how he does. And that, that buys into what Van Gaal is doing to an extent because it means that if he's allowed, as you say, with the example of him and Bayern Munich and, and Barcelona as well, that slow period he starts with before it starts to pick up, it's almost like... Do you remember, did you used to watch Art Attack or are you too, too <laughs> Of course, yeah, no, 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 I'm, do you remember, I'm an old man, mate. I'm an old, I thought I watched it. He's even older than I am, Raj. <laughs> do you remember the, the final Art Attack where Neil Buchanan used to do the one with the giant helicopter? And no, I never saw that. A massive one. I never saw that. No, no, God, I never saw that. Essentially, what he used to do was, you know, in the studio he'd do his normal small ones, but at the end of the show, he'd like he'd go to like a charity shop and he'd get loads of sheets and clothes and they'd have like a camera on a crane pointing down. I'm sure you'll be able to find this on YouTube. Amazing. And um, and it would look like um, it looked like nothing to for 90, start with. For ninety percent of the time, it looks like nothing. Yeah, exactly. it looked like nothing. Exactly. And then as soon as he'd finished it, just putting these jumpers in odd positions or something, you go, "Oh wow, that's a clown!" Or "Oh, he's made a he, he's made a football pitch or something like that." And it would never like seem like it was anything. But as soon as he'd finished with it, and like the nonsensical ninety yeah, percent of watching. Like, it, this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tony Hart used to disguise. Tony Hart would actually disguise the drawings almost. Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was a slow reveal. And here's the thing about tactics, right? Football tactics, the top level. The the mash, the uh, the intricacies of like elite football tactics are such that everything has to work at once, or it looks awful. Now. These ta- the things that Van Hal is trying are obviously working in training, right? They're obviously working on the training ground. Otherwise, he wouldn't be persisting with them. I do believe that. Now, the difference, I've said this before, Van Hal has not yet coached in a league as fast as the Premier League. It will take a longer time to get all this stuff up to speed to bring the machinery into play. Uh, you look at Rodgers. Rodgers is someone, Rodgers actually said at the start of the year, you know, Van Hal might struggle in the Premier League because... It's, it's, you know, it, it takes a while to adjust. I don't think Rodgers was actually trying. Well, he might have been trying mind games, but he had a point. It's not easy to adjust. You know, Rodgers now has adapted because he's a superb coach to the loss of Luis Suarez. Um, even though a lot of people forget that some of the best performances Liverpool had last year came without Suarez starting. Um, you know, so it does take a while to adjust. Um, and I think when we step back from it all, when we see Pochettino's vision fully realised, because it's not yet, he hasn't yet bought the players he wants to buy. That's going to be interesting, like this next summer transfer window, who Van Gaal brings in, who Pochettino brings in. We're going to see a very exciting Premier League because we're going to see the vision of two of the best coaches in the world. And Pochettino, I think he is in the top, you know, he's in the top 50 coaches, no question, uh, in the world at the moment. Uh, probably even top 30. I think he's that good. We're going to see some really exciting football next year, I think, on that basis. You know, um, Brent, Brent, Brent Rogers, Brent Rogers kind of plays mind games on himself. Right. Yeah. He's sort of like, <laughs> I, I, there, there isn't a, a better manager in the league. Uh, uh, ratcheting up pressure on himself and Brendan Rodgers. There's always because I don't know what it is. I, I don't know whether this is kind of this is deliberate or, or he's just mildly sociopathic. But he he kind of it just can't help himself after games. He, it, he can't help but to sort of accentuate every positive and and to, to parody himself to the point where you just know the next game it comes around something bad is going to happen. And he's going to look sillier as, as a result. It's extraordinary. Um, well, I think yes, I, I can't. No, I, I, this is just a, it's a, an open-ended rant. I just I can't stand him. I, I just I, I find I, I last season when it was all going well, I, I kind of I was fairly indifferent until the point where it actually looked like they might win the title. But it's just sort of there's something incredibly dislikable about him, um, and just uh, yeah, it, it's different to the Mourinho thing because you, you have the sort of the trophies with Mourinho, whereas you go well, yeah, you did well to, to to get second place, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, the only difference between Mourinho and, and, and Rogers, actually, apart from the pragmatism, is and the silverware. Well, yeah, well, so, so, so far, so far, Mourinho. I think Mourinho, uh, Rogers is an ideologue, and Mourinho is a pragmatist. Yeah, and you would never have caught Mourinho playing the way that um, Liverpool did against Chelsea last year in that Mourinho decisive would never game. Never have lost that game. Never. never, no, never, never, never. Like Mourinho is the surest bet in terms of achieving result in world football. And I don't know, I've, I've thought about this recently. I was wondering if Rodgers was trying to, if it was Rodgers' sort of philosophy to kind of like bully Chelsea, you know, sort of saying, we did it to Arsenal, we could do it to Chelsea. I'm not sure it was that with Rodgers. I think Rodgers was thinking, look, if our team plays deep-lying, low-tempo, we'll lose. And we've played this way all season. And if we lose against this Liverpool team playing a game that's not our own, I'll kick myself. Okay. Plus, don't forget, Rodgers kind of made a rod for his own back, rod for his own back because he'd been saying like the whole season, we're going to play our own way. If you suddenly tell your players who are really confident, a lot of them are playing out of their skins, oh, by the way, it's Chelsea now, we've got to play differently, there could be a catastrophic loss in confidence. And they might have lost that game by more. You know, They might have sat back and thought, well, we're not confident ourselves, things won't come off for us. Does that make sense? So yeah, I, think- I, I agree. I, 
Well, I, I, I also the part of that game I, I've always thought about was Rogers. That showed Rogers' inability to control Steven Gerrard in that in that season. Because can, can you imagine what characterised that game was? Okay, you know any side can um, can concede a goal as they did. It's just one of those things that happens periodically in football. But after that point, all the structure went from the midfield, and 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 Gerrard kind of descended into hero mode. Long shots, long shots, Hollywood passes into the stand, and and it's. I never had a look at the graphics about that, but I remember what I. I remember as I as I saw it, thinking, this has become too much about you now. This isn't about the team anymore. This is about you going out on that on that single moment that you've you've always worked towards. And Mourinho would never have allowed that. Any player performing playing like that within a Mourinho system, who is you know to the detriment of, of of the side around him, would come off immediately, or it would have been you know shunted back into his role. And I. I yeah, that's just um, an interesting one. I think it's a, a shame for Gerard in a career sense that he never fulfilled that move to Chelsea um, when it came about in 2004-2005 time. Mm-hmm. Because had he had that time with a manager like... He would have been a better player for it. Like Mourinho at that earlier point in his career, perhaps that, that tendency for him to to have that sort of hero... Syndrome, isn't it? That he's got this yeah. this need to fulfil for Liverpool. Oh, but also, I I, I, the weirdly, I have a, I have a sympathy for Gerard there because we talk of Gerard in hero mode in that sphere, but he has only ever expanded to fill the space made available to him. Yeah. And if Gerard becomes goes into hero mode, it's because other people subconsciously are shirking responsibility. Because he had to. Yeah. Gerard, if you look at Gerard's entire career, if you look, his autobiography is fantastic. Gerard, Gerard was passed over for the um, England uh, the, the youth the youth international team. Lillishaw. So Gerard like thought he wasn't going to make it to the elite level. So his entire career has been characterised by being the underdog, right? He comes into a Liverpool team where the older players are kind of on their way out. He never really has a great team around him at club level. So he's just picking up the slack. If you'd been a, the one season that Gerard was allowed to cut loose creatively without worrying too much about what was behind him with uh, Alonso and Mascherano, he was out of his mind. He was so he is someone that responds to tactical instruction. So my thing with uh, Rogers was I'm not sure how much instruction Rogers is actually giving him because actually there's an extent uh, there's a sense to which Rogers was kind of in awe of him, not just in you know he was always building up in the press conferences, but I genuinely think Steve, that, that Brendan Rogers you know he he had never managed a player that big before, you know so, uh, well in, in terms of the that's footballing a, that's landscape, a good point. Yeah. in terms in terms of a footballing landscape like. Rogers went into that into that job. Okay, if you go into a job or you're a new guy, you need at least one massive ally in the changing room and in the. Board you room. need your your idol Karanka, absolutely. Yeah, that Mourinho had at Madrid or gigs at, at Old Trafford for Van Hal, I guess. Exactly, and the pact the pact that Rogers made, I suppose, himself almost subconsciously was, this is a this is the one guy I've kind of got to indulge a bit, mm. or 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 not not not, not indulge is not fair. This is the one guy I've got to trust to make things happen because that's what Gerard does. When Gerard is this kind of wild, free, enthralling, you know, free running, you know, footballer. That that's when he that's when all the magic stuff happens. And if you try to curtail that, then you don't get Gerard at his best. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. That's fair enough. Um, okay, so um, we will end by all right. Prediction. First of all, actually, come the end of the season, what is um, what is acceptable for Man United? Because that seems to be a kind of voguing uh, topic in the media at the moment. Mm, what's acceptable? Van Hal's uh, not going anywhere. We know this, and, and any any yeah. otherwise are absurd and just uh, clickbait essentially. But it, it, if you, as, as as a pure fan, forget the writer aspect. You, you look at your season, and what are you actually happy with? Can I be completely honest? Yep. 
We're not losing games. Yes, I get that. Um, but we're not playing particularly well. Oh, so you're, you're tra- terrible to watch. Have and to I say. think, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I don't think we can feel cheated if we come sixth. Mm. We can't feel cheated by that. Like, you know, I, I shouldn't, you know, it's probably heretical to say this, but I don't think we've shown that we are, we're not one of the top three teams in the league. No. Um, I think that if we squeeze in, if we squeeze into, if we squeeze into fourth, I'd be overjoyed, but it would not be unacceptable if we came fifth. It wouldn't be unacceptable. The fifth or sixth, it wouldn't be because it would just, look, let's be realist about it. We've not set the world on fire. We haven't had a defining game. We haven't won a defining match against one of the top eight teams in the league. You we haven't, haven't, I we haven't outplayed. I'll go further. I, I top ten, top ten. had a, um, a passage of play throughout the whole season, even, even in a sort of like a half an hour block where I've thought, hey, I can see where this is going. I mean, the other, the other you night... No, we had. We had the, the first half against Leicester, who are bottoms. So that's almost difficult. Yeah, to get too excited yeah, about. That we had the QPR game. We can't get too excited about that. We had West Ham, where we looked quite good in patches. But we really haven't had a... I mean, actually, here's the thing. We had a, the Chelsea game, actually, fun enough. Old Trafford was a good one. That was, that was a good second half. That was... Uh... It was a, it was a yeah, there was the Chelsea game, I think, um, was... A game where I looked and thought, okay, this is players playing with confidence, with purpose, and matching, you know, making Matic and, you know, and Fabregas look... With an understanding as well. Reasonably subdued. Yes, I think that actually, I think the second half against Chelsea was the first sign of um, something really, really positive for the long term. Okay, all right, fair enough. I've said, I I mean, the last time I watched you, I watched that Newcastle game, and I, as you know, I don't drink, but I had to have a beer during that game. Good Lord. It was, it was, it was... I, I I don't know whether it's overexposure because Man United are seemingly on television every week, but I, I just find it. I know that, that there's a sort of urban myth that United were always this incredibly flamboyant side, used to knock five goals in a game, which is rubbish. Um, and Ferguson frequently put out sides who are very uninspiring, if not successful. Yeah. But it just it's so it's stodgy and laboured and slow and yeah. Anyway, um, so I reckon you're going to do on Sunday. <sighs> uh. Oh well. Um, do you know what I think? It's I think it's going to be a draw. It's a good good result for you to get a point against us at Old Trafford, given the recent history. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I just, I just, <laughs> I don't think we have the. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's nice. To, no, the we, we do far too pleased with yourself. We do banter. We do banter. Seb, Seb, I've actually got through this entire. Po- You've been very clever. You're very Mourinho-esque. You've asked just enough clever questions to avoid. Me directing personal abuse at you, and and to be honest, this podcast would be, you know, it's been pretty sedate. Um, I think I just, you know, what it is. I just think that we lack the um, the sustained firepower to break you guys down at the moment. If I'm really, really honest with myself, I think <laughs> it's a one. Have you seen our defence? I don't know about that, but it's not so much about the defence. It's about the way it's the speed that we put together attacks. Yeah, yeah. There's something really missing in the tempo of our attacks. I think it's going to be a one-all draw because I just can't see us getting. I can't see us getting a couple against. You know, in, in seasons past, I'd be like, "Yeah, the, the machinery's working, the firepower is there." I can see us getting a couple of goals, but I, I can't see us getting. Uh, and also, quality. us falling on our sword ultimately because Old Trafford is kind of whether you want to complain about the series of refereeing decisions or not. We've been pretty flimsy up there up until two years ago. So, well, no one's af- no one's afraid to come there anymore. No, 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 no one's afraid. No one's afraid of Old Trafford anymore. You know, Swansea aren't afraid for goodness. Swansea, my goodness. <laughs> Burnley yeah. aren't afraid. Burnley came and picked wearing a, a foil kit figure. They look like they were made out of foil. They, <laughs> no, no, they, they come dressed in chainmail. 
was... unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. Like Game of Thrones. And they outplayed you as well. No respect. No res- <laughs> well, can we? Okay, let's let's. Okay, we've been very friendly in the podcast so far. Let's not. Uh... <laughs> no, but it's, they did outplay us. It was horrifying. Burnley outplayed us. Yeah, it was horrifying. Um, it's a weird. Anyway, cool. still, still. Let's leave it there then, shall we, Raj? Yep, perfect. Thanks very much for your time. Cheers, Mason. That was a pleasure. Let me know when the link's out and I'm happily tweet it about. Thank you very much, Musa. Um, yeah, I, I didn't get to speak to you. They censored me out of that portion of the conversation as ever. I wasn't I wasn't deemed knowledgeable or interesting enough to add anything to it, which is... Uh, I, I've got to actually, with that. I, um, because you remember <laughs> this morning that you and I spent... Well, you spent quite a lot of time teaching me not only how to use a, a, phone, a, a voice recorder, but also how to download one. And we got it all prepared. Musa was coming on. And Raj woke up. I didn't at like wake up. Twelve thirty. Muscled into the uh, into the little interview segment, and then and we got we got on Skype. And I said, "Oh, I, I've got my new voice recorder. Shall I, shall I record this?" He's like, "No, no, 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 no." It was like the idea of me having any kind of like technological responsibility was just ridiculous. And I I've kind of you know I've spent my my fourteen pounds on it, and now I've just sat here all afternoon, kind of sadly recording things, replaying. <laughs> If anyone wants to give give Seb a call so you can test out his uh, new call recording software, uh, just send him a DM on Twitter and he'll probably ignore you. Um, No, 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 mate. We'll go for it, definitely. I I, want to use it. I want to use it. There you go. (laughs) Sebastian's casting couch is in full session. Um, Right, let's let's do some... We've we've neglected our little... So I think we owe them a, a good old round of listener questions because I think you guys have covered Man United pretty extensively there. Um, so we will start with a good one here from Mr. Charlie Parrish. I'll put this over to you first, Baines. Um, as of right now, have Mason and Bentaleb done enough to prove they deserve to go into next season as first-choice centre midfielders? Of course they have, yeah. Um, I don't think there's, there's much... Um, much discussion on that. I think that they've performed very well in that that first uh, midfield band together, and they've they've had the attributes to um, complement each other um, very well. So um, I, I look forward to seeing how they progress together, because um, they seem to have a, a very good understanding of of what one another do, and they bring very different things to the midfield. So it's um, it, it's working very well at the moment, and because of their ages and and how they're doing, and because obviously Mason had his his progression stunted somewhat due to injury, so his 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 age is somewhat deceiving in that he's he's older, but he's not necessarily played as much youth team football as, as other players have purely because he's not been fit enough to so for him to be coping as well as he is at the, the current level having not really um, had that time to, to perfect his game as a youngster is um, is a really good showing of how far he, how far he could progress I mean we've discussed previously out of the three how much better um, Bentaleb could be than Mason I don't think that's a a contentious point, to be honest. Uh, Harry Kane is is his own man as well. He could do very well. I think out of the three, um, Mason's probably the most expendable. He's probably the one that, if the club were to look to to improve midfield, he'd be the one that you'd you'd see as the one who who might be looking to miss out. But given the players that we've we've bought in similar positions and and already have in similar positions, the like of Dembele and Capu and Stambouli and and the like, they they just don't. 
don't really bring as much to the side as, as he has. And the only worry about Mason would be that he, he's failing to complete matches um, because of that injury record he has. He, he usually comes off about 60, 70 minutes. And if that's a feature of his, his game going forward, it might not be you know the best thing for him because we, we've seen how that affects negatively the the likes of Van der Vaart we've had and Sandra who just can't really get any consistency going if they can't complete a football match so hopefully if he if he's allowed to rest and recuperate and strengthen over the summer um he'll be able to to go into next season as a, a fully fit Premier League midfielder which will be you know really interesting to see alongside Bentaleb who is is probably uh, our best prospect they seem to have a, a, a really nice actual like personal as well as professional partnership going on a personal partnership sounds a bit bit strange i don't mean it in that way but um <laughs> they uh it, it, like when when the little fracas happened with carl henry and mason how almost immediately after the game resumed and chopped Carl Henry, and it was just almost that little kind of like, don't fuck with my mates, yeah? And I don't know, I just like it. They seem to have that that little double act thing going on at the moment. Um, I really like it. Is there anything you want to try to that one at all? So, um, I don't think so. I think Raj nailed it. I, I, um, I mean, on your point, though, I, I, I agree. I, I also, you notice whenever one of them scores, whether it be Mason, Bentler doesn't score, but... Um, or Kane, they're, they're, they're always with each other in the celebration. Um, it reminds me a little bit of kind of, I mean, they're not kind of the, the same calibre of player and we're not the same calibre of team, but that, that, um, that movement of young Man United players in the mid-90s um, and sort of the bond that they had and the kind of the tangible evidence that you always saw for it on the pitch, there's a little, there's a sort of shades of that, which I, I, I really enjoy. I, I think that's what, you know, a football team should be about. Because um, it's, it's a little bit amateur. It's a little bit how it might be on a Sunday morning, um, but just at a professional level. And it's lovely to see. So, yeah, that's the only thing I'd say. I like it. I like it. Um, We've got one. Let's have a little look here now. From Sean Connolly. If you could improve two areas of starting 11, what would they be? I'll put that to you first, Seb. Um, mm, That's actually a really good question. I... Central defence. I, um, uh, I I I think the Tongan's been far better than I thought he would be this season. I think he's, he's you know his, his attitude has recovered really well. Um, Dyer is progressing really nicely. Fazio is capable of doing um, a lot of good things in the right situation. Uh, I still you know if the option came to, to add a like a, a really good centre back, I don't think that's something we could refuse. Um, and I would say. It's not necessarily strength in the team. It's just a strength in an area. I, I would quite like someone who could offer a little bit of support to Ericsson. I'd, I'd like a, an alternative to him because Ericsson, like we can't run Ericsson into the ground for thirty-five games a season. You know, you, you've got to you've got to have an alternative. And I, what, I, what about Alex Pritchard? Just to, sorry to interject there, but uh, that's I, sort of a, a perfectly honest name. I've never seen enough of Alex Pritchard. I've seen him in, in highlights packages and occasionally when I've stumbled across a game he's playing in for, for whoever he's loaned to, I'm not in any way an authority on him, so I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'd love it to be Alex Pritchard. Uh, he's, been, he's been around for so long and we, you know, we've, we've expected so much from him for such a long time. But, you know, uh, sort of I, I hear murmuring from you know, people like Chris Miller saying that he's not maybe quite what he thought he was going to be and I trust Chris's opinion, so... 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know if anyone has anything different to say about that. I, I just don't I don't trust about... what Chris has to say. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd, I'd want to Steve see the play. never going to happen. Windy's too nice in person. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I've I've seen him a few times when I've I've had the pleasure to to cover Brentford, who one of the more attractive um, championship sides to watch, especially given I spend most of my time in the championship watching Huddersfield Town, which isn't great. Um, so, and he, he he is very much limited in what he offers in the final third. He, uh, he he will require a lot of work and, and perhaps one on one work with Pochettino to make him rounded enough to perform in the Premier League. But he has the instincts going forward in that he he can eye a pass should it be needed. He can score and does so regularly in the Championship, which is always a, a good um, good you know attribute to have. And um, his set pieces are also fantastic. So if he's happy in, in playing a bit part role next season, then um, it'll be an interesting one to see. There's also uh, Tom Carroll at Swansea, which he's he seems to be playing a, a number 10 there rather than deeper uh, in midfield. So um, we'll see how he progresses. He, he may well be sold for a fee there just to sort of um, help the, the academy keep running because I imagine we can get a good five, six million for him given his age and given the club and probably insert one of those sort of, uh, you know, if he was to go elsewhere, we'll get a fat fee from it. And if not, we might have a buyback clause or what have you. But he's um, he's he's been a bit bit part of Swansea, but he's been all right. He's not been terrible or anything. He's not looked out of place in the Premier League. I think he's growing into the side of late, hasn't he? He has, yeah. he has. He, uh, with um, with Sigurdsson, when he was injured and suspended, he'd um, he'd played a lot more than he would have done otherwise. Um, higher up the field, he, he's not scoring. He's he's, he's he tends to affect the game much more subtly um, than you know your average number ten would. So it, it's it's an interesting foil for somebody like Ericsson. He's not he's not exactly the same type. He's something a little bit different. And I'm I'm you know with all players, it's quite nice to have that option of being able to say it'd be interesting to see what Pochettino would do with them because he is able to to slightly tweak a player in his in his own image and. And have them play in a slightly different manner, given the time as we've seen this season. So, I don't think there's any other than players that we've we've seen try and fail to adapt, or or not even try, just refuse to adapt under Pochettino. Um, there's nobody in the squad that you're really willing to to write off because. The work he does with the players on the training field seems to make a, a tangible difference to what they're able to do in, in actual game circumstances, which is an actual uh, real pleasure to have from a manager. That's, what, that's ideally what you want them to be able to do. Yeah, do that. Yeah, good. Um, going back to the original point as well, Baines, any two positions in particular, if we're talking about just out-and-out out transfers? Uh, we, need a, wanna... we need somebody at right-back who can come in and uh, deputise for Carl Walker when he's not fit because the, the the pace he goes and the, the way he runs, he tends to get injured at least once or twice a season. So we need somebody who isn't Eric Dyer or Kirikesh to come in there. Isn't that long-term, though? I mean, I don't expect to see him anytime soon, but long-term, that's probably Yedlin. I... Yedlin and there's the, the the little Walker Peters lad as well who um, who he looks a good player. Ryan Fredericks, yeah. has, Ryan Fredericks has been said to have a great season at Borough as well. I haven't really, Has he not? Was he not sold, Fredericks? No, I don't believe so. He's on loan. Oh, yeah, well, we've got a few there, but you know, if, we, if none of them are trusted, then um, I think Yedlin's a while off yet. He doesn't. 
he, I think he, he'll be loaned out next year. I don't, he I don't imagine he'll stay. Entirely inspire me. <laughs> he just <laughs> seems to be very quick, which isn't necessarily the, the greatest attribute to have as a right back. But you're going to get lectured by our American fans for that. You cannot have an opinion about. He, baits, he loves it. He baits them. He loves it. Yeah. I love it, mate. I, I I went to go watch American Sniper just so I could complain about it, but I actually <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's only a joke. I actually quite enjoyed it. I think the to to digress slightly, I think people were just looking for something to beat that film with when there wasn't too much that was that was you know unexpected from it really. But um, that's by the by. Uh, no, and wh- where else would I? Perhaps another central midfielder, somebody who, because we're going to be losing Kapu and possibly Dembele, somebody who, in the mould of a Ryan Mason, is able to do that job similarly. Because um, I'm not sure with Stambouli, he's been a bit, you know, he has the odd good game and the odd good performance here and there, but he seems to just be brought on as that player who comes on with 10 minutes left just to shore things up a little bit. He's not really been trusted to play 90 mm-hmm. minutes as yet. So we've not seen enough of him in the Premier League to know just how capable he is so he's a, he's a very funny case in that I think that's a, very much one of those signings that perhaps might not have happened if uh, if if Mitchell was at the club a tiny bit earlier he seemed to be a an opportunistic buy rather than an ideal one so we'll we'll see how he goes um but uh, I'm surprised that uh, I'm surprised that neither of you have said a striker because that feels to me like the most imperative position that we We'd need. You know, with Harry Kane scoring all those goals, he, he, he papers over those cracks quite nicely. But yeah, once you bring it up, I imagine Soldado will will be given mercy this summer. And yes. um, I think, do you, do you know, a, a good point. I just wanted to raise about Soldado. Actually, um, Spooky made it up on the Fighting Cock a few a few uh, weeks ago. Is that as much as you know? I love him now, but there is that he's just he's got that air of. He's just like he's sorry for existing now. You can see it. You just want him to be kind of you know, taken out the back of the woodshed and you know, put on the, yeah, exactly. Like he's just, I don't know. He just seems so sorry all the time in everything he does, and it, it was typified by that that weird pass stroke tame shot that he put into oh, the man. keeper's hands against Fiorentina. It's horrible. It's horrible to see him. If anything like summed that. up his time at, at the club, it's that. I just, I just thought, you go back two years and you don't even think about passing that ball. You just put it in. We're not even going to get ten million for him, though, are we? Realistically, well, I don't think we ever were, mate, because we, we, the age he was when he signed. I think it was a kind of that was the one time Levy said, "All right, we're not going to, we're not going to buy with a, with a, with one eye on, um, with why one eye on on." reclaiming our money in three or four years because he's just never going to get it for a striker who would be in his 30s by then. So I reckon I we could get 10 million each for Adibayor and Soldad. I reckon we could make 20 million out of those two. I reckon they're a club stupid enough to to, to give us that amount to, to of money. To be fair, yeah, if we can make 20 million from Palacios and Crouch, you yeah. know... <laughs> Yeah, good. I expect Soldado to go out on loan at the end of the season. I know that's a weird thing to say, but... I would have thought that someone, it's in our interest to do that because someone will say, maybe a Spanish club, um, wouldn't be a surprise to see him go back to Valencia, maybe. Valencia uh, so, right, we'll, don't really need him at the minute. <laughs> they don't need him, maybe. If, if, uh, if Alcazar leaves, which he might do, I, I would have thought, um, is pretty sought after forward. Then if you take, and also Negredo is, is on loan there. Um, so that's with an obligation to buy, though, isn't it? From City, is it, is it an obligation? Yeah, or not? I'm fairly sure it is. Yeah, I'm fairly sure the only reason that they they didn't sign him 
um, permanently at first was just cash flow problems that they'd have. They knew they'd have the money at the end of the year, but not at the start because they're in a bit of a mess. Given that they've got two stadiums, <laughs> um, well, they, they, they've actually got a surprising amount of money though as well because they, they've been taking over. They've got that stadium issue, yeah. But um, anyway, Soldado, I, I um, just because it'd be, if I was a club looking at Soldado, if I was a Spanish club, I'd say, well, you probably can still still uh, still score goals in this league, but I want to make sure. Come back for a year. Let's have a look at you. Let's make sure you're not broken by Tottenham, and um, and then we'll commit the year later. Uh, and I think that's you know, twelve months is not going to make it that much difference price wise. I wouldn't have thought. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, Adebayo's as good as gone, but if we just about like viable candidates, Charlie Austin's one of the names that's been mentioned a lot. But I'm not convinced about. I mean, I think he's a very good player, but. I don't see how he's going to work alongside Harry Kane. To me, Harry Kane's just a kind of younger, more versatile version of him, really. I'm not a big fan at all of Charlie he's, Austin. He's, he's a, just a good player. Yeah. He's not more than that. Yeah, he's, he looks better because he's in such a shake side. Um, yeah. Danny Ings is a better prospect, but he may yeah. well go abroad. Um, Rodriguez could come back. And, I know he's not technically a striker, but he, he can still operate in that kind of advanced attacking role that we could... Look to fulfil probably. Yeah, it gives it gives some good competition on the left to Chadley as well. You know, on um, on Charlie Austin, it's interesting because I, I was watching the game against QPR. Now, there's that moment when um, moment in the first half when Austin went through through on goal, about ten yards out, and smashed it off the bar. And the, I can't remember who the co-commentator was. It was just, oh, it's a tremendous effort. It's just like, all right, if that's an Eng- if that's if that's a foreign player doing that, it's a glaring miss. No if one that's Soldado, for example. If that's Soldado, is a howler. Because you, you, you uh, okay, like against Lloris, he always, there's always the, the, the possibility he's going to make a great save. You've got to hit the target. And that's kind of what I think of Charlie Austin. He's like, okay, you might score quite a few goals and, you know, you, you look quite good at, as, as, um, as Raj said, in, in a terrible side. But I don't know. For a club of our level, I'm not sure about that. Because if, if, I know we had the, we've had some paranoia about is Kane having a Michu season, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But for me, if anyone's having a Michu season, it's Charlie Austin right now. Because, you know, yeah. 15 Premier League goals isn't to be sniffed at. He has had a very good year. But, you know, it's just, it's kind look of, at, it's, it's a bit blunt instrument, isn't it, really? Just look, at, look at the list of players who've come up and done exactly that and have actually yeah. been very good. All right, Mar- I mean, Marcus Stewart. Andy Johnson he's another one I, I mean it's just not Michael Ricketts Michael Ricketts it's not a um, it's not a guarantee of anything um, and I mean he never scored a lot of Premier League goals but David Nugent scored for fun in the championship when he was at Preston and everyone thought you know he'll, he'll do the same in the, in, in the Premier League and it just I don't know a one season doesn't I know, I know it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit ironic given what we're saying about Kane and how convinced we all are, but I, I, I don't know. I need to see. I need to. I want to. See, I want to see Charlie Austin put a, a put a chance away when he absolutely has to. That's 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 kind of um, that's what I'm yet to see from him. I think like that that one at the weekend. He, he got to score. Got to score. Let's have another look. We've, got, we've probably got time for one more question. There's a really nasty one in here actually, which you've actually responded to from the rule the rooster count, um, Raj, but. I don't know, I'm, I'm quite tempted to ask it. Mm-hmm. Is it a Campbell one? Yeah, I don't know. No, yeah. it's just, sorry. The, well, all right, the yeah. question was from <laughs> A-T-O-T, at, at, underscore Spurs. Would you forgive Judas 
if he, which is Sol Campbell, if you weren't aware, um, if he apologised for joining the scum. I think I answered that in the tweet, didn't I? You did, which was, if you care to elaborate for anyone that doesn't use Twitter. Don't be daft. Oh, there we go. Seb, any more out, out, of, out, of, out of your mind, that, that. I mean, I, I just, no. I, I um, Sol Campbell, I, I think I've reached a point with Sol Campbell where I almost dislike him as much for who he is as I do for what he did. He is just the most, he's so obnoxious. I think, I think one of the reasons it's a, it's a categoric no is because the idea of him ever recognising why it's caused such an issue is just inconceivable. He's, he's that arrogant. He just, he, he's never, I don't know, he, he's always, he, he always behaves with complete incredulity that over, <laughs> over the treatment he received. And look, some of the treatment is terrible and, and it should never, ever get racial with, with Campbell. It never should have done. It's shameful stuff, some of that. But in terms of on a pure footballing basis, you know, come on. Bring back the death penalty. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> let's just have a little look now. I'm just seeing if there's anything else that's particularly... Uh, oh, oh, God, I'll, I'll give you two this one. Um, at Julian Betts asks, Harry Kane, any comparable breakthrough seasons for a relative unknown in rugby league? Wow. Daryl Clark last season for yeah, Cass yeah, yeah. was absolutely uh, fantastic. He was a player of the season, Man of Steel, last year. Um, for a cast side that weren't particularly uh, well fancied and um, they came out of nowhere and he was a catalyst of that. Got into the England side at the end of the year and did okay in the Four Nations um, and got himself a move, although it was pre-arranged to Warrington. And he's a, he's a fantastic young talent, um, similar sort of age to Harry Kane. Um, obviously the, the positions aren't really comparable but they, they led their hometown sides to a, a relative level of success in a similar sort of manner, so Daryl Clark would be the one that would uh, come out for me, really. I'd uh, I'd add uh, Morgan Escury to that as well, maybe. Uh, it's not quite as pronounced because he's not English and he plays in Catalan, but he um, his first season in the Super League was just wonderful to watch. Yeah, he's one of rugby league hipster. You are so no, Morgan Escury is one of my favourite <laughs> players. He's, he's, he's yeah. brilliant. Raj um, does talk about him a lot. He, he's he's great to watch. Yeah, he's, he's got great. these little feet that just. When when he gets it right and when he when he sells someone a dummy, it's it's fantastic to watch because he's one of those that, with his eyes and everything, he properly sells it. So players when their bodies actually move in the other direction and they've <laughs> completely bought it and and you know handed their money in at the till and he's already passed them. It's it's really nice to see. Um, yeah, I, I completely echo that. It's, it's, it is brilliant. How he catches it and throws it and stuff. It's awesome. Do you want to update um, well? the listeners on our? We've got a, a, a Super League. Have got their own. Um, we should have opened this up to our listeners just to see how funny that would have been. <laughs> um, but we've got. We might do it next season. Uh, the Super League, the English. Um, Rugby League League has got a, a, a fantasy team, a dream team thing online where you get to pick your players and in a similar this is manner such to football. Self serving segment, Raj. but it's um, no, but it's a lot harder than the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot harder than the. Um, if, if you're listening for the first time, this is just leading up to one massive bit of self congratulation. <laughs> by the way, this is this is basically like a, a, an audible wank that Raj is yeah, having here now. Exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's, it's, Carry on, mate. Have your little moment. It's harder. Than- <laughs> <laughs> it's harder than the uh, football one is because the uh, the price of the players and everything is it's like it's quite it's quite well. Done. I love how you're building it up even more. Like, it's really hard. It's like you know it takes a great mind to you know. 
But essentially, four weeks into the season, I am uh, so far ahead of Seb and Jack's team. Understandably, Jack's team is made up of people who he found their names funny, whereas Seb actually um, sort of... Sort of... I, I haven't worked out how to... Like, the, the, okay, I'm, I'm going to defend myself a bit before he says what he's about to say. I haven't worked out how to transfer players... I will. Well, I always forget to transfer players in before the game week no, starts. No, you haven't but... not worked out. Then you just you're, you're too slack to actually do it. Whereas I have been managing my side very closely, um, oh. very fastidiously. <laughs> and I, I, I am genuinely. I could take like a fortnight off and still be comfortably ahead of you two. Yeah, it's not a lie. Unfortunately, a couple of my comedy players seem to be doing all right now. I've just had a little look. Willie Tonga. He's, well, he's doing all right. Player. Willy Tonga was an Australian national <laughs> test, test player. So he's... Fantastic name, though, Willy Tonga. The, um, the one we spoke um, about the other week, the one that um, he played when I was you a kid. Still... That, that, that's one of the things, Jack, right there. That's one of the shouldn't happen when you're 30. Shouldn't find that funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I just do. Nope. The word Willy is never not going to be funny. We had, a player just... at, we had a player at Leeds when we were talking about <laughs> the eight-panel rugby balls. We used to celebrate his tries by peeling the eight panels like a banana and pretending to eat the ball. <laughs> And his name, his, his name was. Uh, that is brilliant, to be fair. His name was Willie Poaching, and I never found it funny as a kid until I got older and I thought, Willie Poaching, that's like he's cooking his own dick. But it is. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those that the penny dropped once his career had finished. Well, Willie Poaching is what it's like the, a premise for a strange porno movie, isn't it? With like a, a female expedition through the jungle. They're yeah, they'd, they'd be like really uh, ham-fisted dialogue, like, how do you like your cock in the morning? Poached. <laughs> um, also, Danny Tickle seems to be having a, a good Danny one. Tickle's a good player. He's getting on a bit now at Witness, but he's a... He, good he, player for a long time. He's done a lot of the kicking for them, so he'll be getting on. Look, I'm, I'm talking more about him having a funny name, but, you know, you, you're <laughs> we really bypassing that. You need, yeah, to, get, you you need to get rid of the players that you've... That don't play because you've picked, sports. you've picked a few that just don't get into the, the squad. The younger players and some obscure ones who don't play at all. Eloy Policia, he's done. Oh, Elwa, he's done right. Elwa Policia. Uh, oh, I beg your pardon. Yeah. Kyle Trout, who I got in because <laughs> I he's... don't think I've ever heard of Kyle Trout. Which I, I've literally never heard of him. <laughs> which gives you an idea of how obscure he is. He was fifty k. To yeah, be fair, that, so. I think that's pretty it's... much the lowest you can get. That is. Yeah. You know, like the the poor players on the uh, the football one are like four point three million. The poor ones in yeah. rugby league one are fifty grand. <laughs> and then you get That's the fine. top the top end players are one hundred and seventy k. That's the the maximum you can spend on one player, and that pretty much just puts paid to the rest of your squad. You've got no movement for anyone else. If we uh, if we just move just slightly back to uh, to football before we put a uh, put a bullet in the head of this podcast. Um, at this point now, because we, we've we've got United away, and then we have what quite a few have said is a you know a pretty manageable set of fixtures, and ones that we could probably come out you know pretty favourably from. Um, what would you like to see happen with the rest of the season, lads? I mean, you know, do you think that if we were to finish top four, which you know I, I'm not going to say that could happen or you know, it should happen. But were it to happen, do you think it would be too soon for us now for this kind of young young side? Is there almost a little bit of you that would feel that it might spoil it a bit if, mm. it, if it had come that early? 
I don't think it would spoil it. I think it would give, if they weren't to apply themselves in the Champions League as effectively as we did the previous uh, campaign, that would be a stick to uh, probably un- unjustified um, stick to beat Pochettino with. Um, there is an element of perhaps it coming too soon, although I do think comparing our squad now to the squad that we had the last time we were in the Champions League, given that we got to a quarter-final... Um, it's quite amusing because they're so much better um, in pretty much every position. Um, but the you know the, the competition, the, the the competitiveness of the Champions League has perhaps got a little bit better since then. So um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be an interesting sort of um, a litmus test for our side to see just how well the likes of Kane, Bentaleb, and, and Mason would do in a in a Champions League campaign. It would probably give them that sort of experience is not a bad thing. Uh, by any means, um, if, as long as they went into it knowing um, that it was sort of a, a, a an experience to learn from rather than something they were going to go out and try and win, um, because that would be very unlikely. And not not to write it off and be too no no uh, of course sir. you know go the other way and sort of say you know you you're a bunch of competition winners. This is you know go out and have some fun. Yeah. If, if you found <laughs> if, if, if you found a middle ground between. You know, we should wear our names already in the trophy and uh, make sure you ask for Ronaldo's shirt first. If you find a, a middle ground between them and make it a healthy learning experience, then I would um, I won't see any harm in it whatsoever. I think um, I imagine it would help us. Um, it help us recruit in the summer, as we saw when we signed Van der Vaart. It just allows us to have an extra carrot to dangle in front of. Uh, Potential signings faces, which perhaps weren't wasn't there previously, and um, perhaps know, get Gareth Bale back. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We, we, you know, we won't boo him for not passing the ball. So this is, this is always that. Crazy. Right, it makes I, I don't like it. I, get, I know we're supposed to like be over it, and we're not supposed to have any fun. This you know, I almost scored from forty yards the other day. Gareth Bale now. I know, but there's that little bit of me. It just yeah, I can't help it. I've got that that protective urge where I just feel like being like. Fuck off, leave him alone. Like, you know, he exactly won right. you the Champions fucking league last year, you arseholes. Like, I don't know, I can't really stand the, them. The booing of him is, is just a sort of, is a um, is an exercise in, in kind of trying to ignore Ronaldo's obvious decline as well. It's a kind yeah. of, you haven't quite got the heart to recognise this. But actually, you know, yeah, it's just, and I'm the same as you, Jack. I, I'm, I feel protective over him. I want him to do well. I am. Um, I'm proud of how far he's gone. In a sort of non-slightly better way, but you know, even so, <laughs> Luka Modric is uh, is regaining fitness, so Madrid is, uh, will get better as soon as he's back in the side. Yeah, he's he's a superstar. That bloke, he's absolutely fucking amazing. I've stopped caring about things like that a little bit. I um, I've gone back to how I was as a child. In the, I wake up, I look forward to the game for what it is. Um, I don't hand ring about you know. What it all means and what it, what 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 its relevance to the context is and to you know the lead table. I'm just enjoying it for what it is. I think, and I, it just doesn't. I think maybe because it's it, we've been conditioned to think it's so unlikely that it just doesn't occur to me. Um, so no, not not really anything particular to add. Okay, well there we go. I think that's I think that's it for t- for tonight. Is it, chaps? Anything else to add? Anything more to bring to the table? Anyone? I don't think so. Do you remember Art Attack, Jack? Yeah. I do remember Art Attack. I remember the head, and I also remember <laughs> yeah. Neil Buchanan. Neil Buchanan. Neil Buchanan's probably the man who gets killed on the internet more than anyone else. And is also in like a weird new metal band as well. 
Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Let me find this. Neil Buchanan's band. I'll find out their name now. Do you, yeah, do you not know who? Do you, do you not know what Art Attack is, Seb, or something? Because Ralph brought up earlier. I saw. I loved Art Attack when I was younger. I loved. Um, was it not Neil Buchanan that did it when you were younger, though? No, we had um, we had uh, uh, Tony Hart. Right. No, that's not. No, 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 that's something different, Seb. You, you're talking about Art Beat there with Tony Hart. Oh, oh Art, yeah, Art yeah. Attack is ITV, mate. Yeah, no, no, I remember, and they had the um, and it was heartbeat. Is that like a pistic of heartbeat? Well, it's, 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 a, it's a very clever play on words, actually. I think you'll find there, Raj. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I remember. I'll be after that was um, it was on that show presented by the guy with the big mullet. He used to do Timmy, yeah, Timmy Mallet, Jerry Francis. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I haven't forgotten Timmy Mallet. No, Pat, Pat Sharp. Pat Sharp. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I, I just um. They kind of they, those those channels kind of mold into where it had things like Fun House and and not yeah it's part, is that the one where they did go karts at the end yes yeah and they had um Jack do you remember Nightmare I the, do oh, fantastic television no it, you, when you when you saw that didn't you think that was pro, that was the extent of um of uh, of technology and it yeah, always you, was you couldn't foresee like computer graphics looking any no. better and now if I tell you what if, if anyone remembers that program YouTube it now <laughs> it's brutal. I've never heard of it, but we had uh, Neil Buchanan did that other one as well when I was a kid uh, called Finders Keepers, where the set was like a a house cut down the middle and kids had to run around the house and and find shit. And then there was also that um, there was that smile, but that was that ended badly because the bloke killed himself. Um, Do you remember him, Jack, the guy with the? I do, Uh, Mark Spence. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was always there was a rumor that went around my school, and I don't wish to speak ill of the dead, but it was a rumor that went around my school when I was an infant that he'd put two pencils in his nose and bashed his head against the <laughs> desk. And, and I'm not I'm not sure that's how he actually. Well, wasn't um, wasn't he? Um, like, he hung himself. He was the guy that. Uh, <laughs> got the um, list of suicides. He was a guy with the, that had the um, the thing with the the girlfriend who was found in the. Um, in uh, Sussex Gardens. Yeah, she's had a photo really of her nose has, he, has he got a really dark Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. But, into that. There was also that kid from the... Do you remember the Frosty's advert? It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, apparently he killed himself. Oh, yeah. I've just sent you a link in, uh, in Skype now to Neil Buchanan's band. They're called Marseille. And they actually predate his heart attack days. He was in Marseille in the 70s before he was on heart attack. And now they seem to be back together. And... But anyway, I brought up I brought up um, Art Attack because I was comparing Louis Van Gaal to the big Art Attack at the end of the You're show. a woman. Not you, Raj, just that's the title of... <laughs> wow. Okay. He's gone full wife beater as well, see? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to open that just in case it, it ruins the integrity of the pod and that we hear just, like... That's just... I... The, the integrity of the pod, Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> there are very few things as well that I dislike more than new metal. I, I, I so I don't, I don't know. No, oh, don't worry. It's old school. It's it's uh, first wave British heavy metal. Apparently, oh, that's okay. what it is. I stand corrected. Um, they were they supported groups such as Judas Priest, Nazareth, White Snake, and UFO. Speaking of heavy metal, I've been listening to. Pretty much nothing but Black Sabbath for the past two days, because I had uh, I had War Dogs in my head, and then 
I've just sort of indulged myself. You bastard! I'm going to have Iron Man stuck in my head for <laughs> seeable now. I always get yeah. that song stuck in my head whenever I think about Black Sabbath. But no, it's War Dogs. Is for me is the one that. Uh... Is that it's just the starting where they rhyme masses with masses. <laughs> it's fantastic. Ozzy Osbourne just doing whatever the fuck he wants. Um, right, so I'm going to do the bit now that you two made an absolute horror show of last week, to be honest. Like, but, uh, it made me feel slightly good about myself that I have at least some sort of purpose here. Um to be honest, Jack, we should only, like, me and Seb could do 90% of the podcast, and then if we get you on just to do this end link <laughs> on a weekly basis. Uh, yeah, you say that, give it all that, Baines, but, you know, we you know I'm, the, I'm, I'm the fine condiment to this to this podcast. We we found it, that, I don't know that. That is absolutely not true idea. We, um, between us, we cannot do an intro or an outro in any way or hold it together, so um, it just rambles when you're not here, Jack. You're the glue. Oh, I was going to say, I'm glad I'm the bookends. It's not <laughs> <stuff. laughs> yeah. Um, right, so if, right, if you want to listen to this episode of All the Risk podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on SpursBatman.com, which is, well, kind of named after the boss man, JP, who is at SpursStatman. You can also go to SpursStatman.com, which has now been run by Mr. Steve Jennings. Um, so if you do want to submit any Tottenham themed articles, so on and so forth. He's a go-to guy. Um, follow him on Twitter. You can also send him to Raj as well, but he's taking a bit more of a back seat on it. Um, so, yeah, write some good stuff about Tottenham and uh, send it in to Steve. And, of course, you can follow our Twitter account at RTRSSM. Um, it's shite, but follow it anyway. And uh, I don't think there's much more to say other than come on, you Spurs! Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.